Please turn to Romans 8, 18. For those who don't know, I think most of us here probably do, we're going through the book of Romans. And so we're in chapter 8. And as you're turning there, I just want to ask you a question. You don't have to actually answer it out loud, just uh, think about this. I wonder, what was the hardest day of your life? What was the hardest day of your life? Or the hardest season of your life? I know for me, I had a really hard time in my last year of uni. I felt very, very ill. Bex will remember that. Other people in the church might remember that who were here at the time. I felt very ill. I hardly ate. And at one point, I, I, I sort of felt like, actually, I just give up here. You know, like, this, this, I'm just sick. And just for months and months, I wasn't well. It was a really hard time in my life. Now, for some of you, that's, that's nothing. For some of you, you've had very difficult times. Losing someone you love or living with chronic sickness or continuous financial difficulty or all sorts of things. And I don't ask you that question. What was your hardest time to make you feel worse or um, sort of make you dwell on bad times? But I ask it you for this reason. I wonder in that time, how did you view that suffering? How did you view the thing you were going through? Did you feel numb? Did you feel anything at all? Sometimes when we have a hard time, we just don't feel much at all. Did it overwhelm you? Did you feel like giving up? That's how I felt. Did you see God in it? Did you not see God in it? Did you feel like praising God at all? And so that's what Paul's talking about in today's passage. Not this Paul, but Bible Paul. That's what he's talking about today. And basically what Paul says is that we need to view all of our suffering through the eyes of our coming redemption. So we so often want our suffering to go away, but our suffering doesn't need to go. Our view of it needs to change. And so God wants us to see our suffering through the eyes of our coming redemption. And it starts in verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And that essentially sums it up. I could actually just sit down now and, and say that, but there's a bit more to it. But actually that basically is what this passage is about. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There's a coming glory that, we will, that will be revealed in us and which we must view all of our times of suffering and difficulty in the light of that. And then Paul goes on and says that creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And that, subject, that creation was subjected to futility, to suffering. And the point being here, as Paul starts, is that we're not the only ones who suffer. That all creation, the whole created world, suffers under sin under human sin, under pain. Creation is personified as a living person, being that suffers. 
And in Genesis 3.17, Paul says that creation was subjected to suffering. We see human beings sin. They take the apple off the tree or whatever the fruit was when God tells them not to and they eat it. And at that moment, all creation falls into sin and futility and pain because of human beings. But Paul goes on, verse 20, and says that creation is put under futility in the hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? If we, if, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So he says, creation in its pain is like an expectant mother. Now when Bex was pregnant, she had a hard pregnancy, and there's a, a pain, there's a pain in labour, but there's also a sort of pain throughout pregnancy. As a woman is carrying a baby, anyone who's had a child will know, particularly any woman, will know the pain and the suffering of pregnancy and childbirth. But there's also a hope, isn't there? There's a hope that at the end of this is a child. And all the dreams and all the expectations that come with that. And Paul says creation is like that. Creation is like that. Suffering, waiting, in pain, but in hope. What's it waiting for? To obtain the glory that comes through the glorification of the children of God. Death came in the world through human beings but when we are one day glorified, creation will be restored. And here's the point of it. Paul says that just like creation groans and waits, so we, as followers of Jesus, redeemed people, are groaning and hurting and suffering and waiting for that coming day when we are redeemed at the coming of Christ. Do you ever feel that groaning inside as a Christian? You're completing Christ you love Jesus, but there's just something that groans inside of you. Something, though you're complete in Christ, you don't always feel complete. There's something missing. You're longing for more. And that's because we live in a world that we do not belong to. We are groaning and waiting and hoping for the future redemption that will come to us. And that is how we view all the difficult things that happen in our lives through the eyes of that coming day when Jesus will restore us and creation and all things to himself. And our bodies and this world will be glorified and we will dwell with him. That is where we view our sufferings through, whatever they might be. Paul says we even suffer when we pray, he says in verses 26 to 27, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know when we, we don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, 
Because the Spirit intercedes for God pe- God's people in accordance to the will of God. So we suffer, we groan, we don't know how to pray, and the Spirit helps us. God helps us in our struggle. Sometimes with quiet words, sometimes again with that groan, that inward groan. And we know that in all things God works for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And you take that on its own, how can you say that? How can you say that God is working good when I'm sick, or I've lost someone I love, or I don't have a job, or I don't have any money? How can you be working for good in that? Paul, how can you say that? Well, because he's promised. He's promised the coming redemption of all creation and of ourselves, but also because he's already been faithful to bring us through our lives in him, to save us and to keep us and to hold on to us. And so Paul looks from creation and our future salvation and he brings it back to us. That future redemption is where we find our hope in our suffering, but he brings it back to, well not to us really, to God, to God's work in us as people. And he looks at our salvation, this is called the golden chain, it's a theological, a theological word, this is a sort of big word, it's the golden chain of salvation from start to finish how God saves us. And he starts, he said, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, this is in verse 29, that, he might, that we might become the firstborn among many brothers, that he might become the first, let me read that again, put your teeth in. Okay, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So Paul says that God foreknew us. And to foreknow doesn't mean that God looks at the future and sees we'll have faith, and so he says, I'll have that person. He does see that, our future faith. But for God to foreknow, it's like Adam knowing Eve. You go back to Genesis, you have Adam and Eve, and Adam knew Eve. It's an intimate knowing. Actually, in Genesis, it's a sexual thing. I'm not saying that's what it is with us and God, but it's an intimate knowing. Adam knows Eve, he chooses to know her, he intimately wants her, he wants to be one with her, so God foreknew us. So from the very beginning, before we suffered, before we even lived, God foreknew us, essentially chose us in love. And then it says he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So God predestined, planned in advance that we would be made like Jesus. And so Jesus could become our big brother and we're his big family, all God's children. So he predestines us to become like Jesus. And then it says he calls us. The gospel's preached. We respond and God calls us to be saved. Then he justifies us. And when I preached a few weeks ago, I talked about justification. He declares us righteous. And then it says he glorifies us. He makes us, he brings us to glorification. Paul writes it in the present tense. It's going to happen in the future, but Paul says that he glorifies us because he keeps us in salvation to the end. He won't be lost. He can't be kicked out by Jesus. He keeps you to the end. 
And why does that matter? Because in all of the things we face, God is faithful, has been faithful all the way through. And so we know that it works for our good. It can't work for our bad. Because ultimately, God glorifies us and saves us. So it can only work for our good. So everything you face is working for your good. It doesn't feel like it. It's not supposed to feel like it. And it doesn't mean you can say, thank you God, I'm suffering, yeah. Because you don't say that, do you? You don't enjoy your suffering. But it will work for good because God has already ordained that you will come through it and be glorified in the end again of redemption, Jesus returning, all things being made new. That's where our suffering looks to. That's what we look to when we suffer. When we grieve and when we mourn. And when we want to lose hope. That is our hope. And then we come into a courtroom scene. Douglas Murray's Bible commentator, he calls it a courtroom scene. In response, everything Paul's just written, he now responds to. Now if I was him, I would have written a sentence and then responded to it. But Paul doesn't write sentences. He writes paragraphs with no end and no punctuation and everything. So now he, he responds to what he's just said. What then shall we say? This is verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? To which things? To the future restoration of everything. To our future restoration. To our struggling, suffering there. To our salvation in Christ, which he's faithfully started and will faithfully finish. What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us. God is for us. And he doesn't really answer the question with a simple answer, but the answer is no one can be against us. In the end. He he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? And this is the courtroom It is God who justifies. Who is it who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and interceding for us. So the answer is clear. The accusation comes in the courtroom. The prosecution comes and says, you're guilty. But who can condemn? No one. Because Christ died. Christ rose from the dead. Christ ascended, and now he even prays for you. Today, do you know today, it's something you'll hear very often, Jesus is praying for you in heaven. And he's actually prayed with that process, called, justified, glorified. He's actually prayed for you in that, that you will reach the end of that, and for many other things too. He prays for you. If you want to know what that looks like, by the way, go to John 4, 15 or 16. It's when he's in the garden anyway, and he's praying with the disciples. That's what that looks like. That's what Jesus does for us in heaven today. And that's where our security is based. That's where our hope is based. That Jesus prays for us, keeps us, and is in charge. And will come in redemption to restore all things to himself. 
You can't be defeated by those things, can you, in the end? It doesn't mean we enjoy them. It doesn't mean we like them or ask for them. But it does give a new light on them, doesn't it? Because the world around us just sees the difficulty, just sees the negative, just sees the struggle. There's no hope. The world's going to part. Everything's going wrong. It isn't. But it is, but it won't forever. Because Jesus is in charge. And for us who are in Christ, that's especially our hope. Because we have a coming redemption. And then Paul brings in a final section. A final question. A final answer. Verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Well, shall it? No. It won't. As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. Listen to this. No. In all these things, more things, which things? In all these grieving, in all these sickness, in all these poverty, in these persecutions, in these losing your job, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. Conquerors win. More than conquerors win because someone else has conquered for them. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, which is pretty much everything, including yourself, can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He doesn't leave space for anything to separate us from God's love. He doesn't leave space for anything. All things, whether they're demonic, angelic, human, creation, ourselves, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is bigger than everything that we face and go through. And in his plan and purpose and his redemption and his, his call on our lives, nothing can separate us from him and will stop us from being part of the ultimate victory that he will give us on that day. There's a little bit more to that. That's, that's how it applies to us individually. But I'll look a little bit bigger than that as we, as we sort of come to finish in a minute. In Colossians 1.4, Paul says, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So what he's saying is actually when we suffer, we continue Christ's suffering. We are his body, so when we suffer, he suffers. That when uh, Paul is knocked off his donkey, when he's going to arrest some Christians, fucked up his horse. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Well, Paul was persecuting the Christians. So as we suffer, we share in his suffering, but here's 
what that means beyond us personally. We have victory, we have future redemption, but just on a bigger picture, that redemption that we long for, as we suffer for Jesus, we help to bring that about in the world. What I mean by that is any endeavour, anything, anything we take, any step we take to follow Jesus and obey him, to bring his kingdom and his gospel, involves suffering. And so actually not only is your suffering going to answer personally for your future redemption, but your suffering is what God will help to use to bring his kingdom in this world. Every missionary, every person that's ever stepped out and done anything for Jesus has suffered. One of my favourites is preacher Charles Spurgeon. Ben's here, he loves Spurgeon as well. But he suffered depression and he, uh, he had a really difficult time in his life. His wife was very ill, continuously. Um, and there's so many stories I could tell of it, but he suffered. You've got people like Hudson Taylor who went out to China and the suffering that he faced. I think his wife died and, and uh, all sorts of other things. He got really sick, he got something like malaria or something like that. They're just little examples. But every step we take to obey Jesus and bring his kingdom involves suffering. But that actually brings about that redemption that we long for in the world. As we take his gospel in suffering, the world is reached with the gospel, and that redemption that we long for draws even nearer in the world. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't just involve us in our suffering now, but the bigger picture that God has to save people as we suffer to follow him. <coughs> so I'll leave you with probably my favourite my favourite verses, my favourite section in the whole Bible, at least it has been in the last few years. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, how difficult are the things we face? They're light and they're momentary. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, suffering, but on what is unseen our future redemption and restoration, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So lift your eyes in all of the difficult stuff you face. Lift your eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus, and be in hope that he will restore everything, not just your life, but all things. I want to thank you. And then the band are going to come up and we're just going to respond with a song. It's very relevant. God, thank you. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love each and every one of us. And I pray for every person here as they struggle and suffer. Maybe right now they're not. But I pray that you will help all of us to see our suffering through your eyes and through the, through the eyes of your coming redemption and salvation that we will 
be restored and all things will be restored. I just want to pray that you will bless all those people who are struggling right now. Give them hope. Those who are not, those who are finding it all right at the moment, help them to help others and help them to always remember that our hope is in you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you.